Well, I can feel your disappointment because you were told last week that Jordan was going to preach, and then I, we sent out the weekly announcement, and it says Jordan was going to preach, and here I am standing before you. Well, you need to know that um, Jordan was out of town with his work. When he got back into town in the middle of the week, his sermon's all done. He's ready to go. But when he got back home, God bless him and Gabby, his two little girls were not feeling so good. They had somehow picked up colds, and they were battling with that. And so um, we had to make a decision. And the decision was this. Since Gabby is the brains behind the equipment and the know-how of us being online so that those who are joining us online can see the service, Jordan had to say, okay, I'll stay home and take care of the, of the girls, and Gabby can come and make sure that we are connected with the internet. So that's why uh, I'm here instead of Jordan. Uh, Jordan um, is planning to preach now on the 22nd of August, and that will fit in with his uh, work schedule. So he is going to be preaching, and, uh, uh, but it will uh, be two weeks from today, so keep, keep that in mind. You know, my mother, God bless her in heaven now, uh, she had a phenomenal ability if something happened at the spur of the moment where she needed to put a meal together uh, and she had no advanced preparations for it, she had the ability to go to the refrigerator and open up the door and begin to collect things. And she came up with some of the best meals you can imagine on the spur of the moment. We'll see if her son can do anything close to that with a sermon, okay? Uh, but uh, really, it is my joy and privilege to be able to stand before you and uh, fill in since Jordan uh, could not be here with us. But do keep the girls um, in prayer. Um, Nora is doing better, but little Ella is still struggling with some pretty bad cold. And uh, no COVID or anything like that, in case you're wondering. that uh, No problem there, just a bad cold. So... Uh, keep them in your prayers, if you would. Uh, would you get your Bibles out if you brought a Bible with you or if you're using an app on your phone or iPad? Uh, turn with me to the exciting book of Acts, the book of Acts, the very first chapter, and I want to read for us verses 1 through 8. Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 8. We we often call this book the Acts of the Apostles, and that's quite often a title that's given in some of our Bibles, but that's a misnomer. In reality, we really ought to call the book of Acts the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, because this is a book that shows the Holy Spirit mightily at work through His disciples and through the early church. And that same Holy Spirit that was active so powerfully in the book of Acts, I want you to know, and I know you know this, is right here with us this afternoon and is a part of the Spring Church 
just as much as he was a part of this early church. So hear the word of the Lord from Acts chapter 1, beginning at the verse numbered 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Did Jesus really say, you will be my witnesses? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we look to you with our, our Bibles opened, having heard your word read, and we admit that we need a teacher to come in our midst and open our hearts and open our minds. You are the teacher. I'm simply your human mouthpiece, but you are the one who, are, who is able to open our minds so that we can understand and our hearts so that we might receive and believe and then act upon the truth that we, we hear. And so come, Lord. We are ready for you to teach us what you want to teach us this afternoon. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, I pray, amen. A young, a young priest was getting ready to be ordained, and he was scared to death that the bishop was going to send him to a local parish where he would be required to preach every single week. He was scared to death about the prospect of preaching every week. And so, after he was ordained, he shared his fear with the bishop. And the bishop, to his own kindness and goodness, sent the young priest to the monastery. And when the young priest learned that he was going to the monastery, he breathed a great sigh of relief, and he thought, oh my goodness, this is wonderful. I'll be able to get into the monastery and be with my spiritual brothers, and we'll read Scripture, and we'll pray, and we'll work side by side, and it'll be a heavenly experience to be there. And so he comes, and he meets with the abbot, the head of the monastery. 
On his very first day, the abbot says to him, you know, every day we have chapel, we worship together, we read the scriptures, we sing our hymns, we say our prayers. And I want you to know that uh, you being new to us, you have been assigned to preach in tomorrow's chapel service. Well, the young priest was scared to death and he couldn't believe his ears. He's going to preach tomorrow. This was the very thing he thought he would be able to escape. And so the, the day came and the, the brothers were there and the chapel was filled and they sang and it was time for the sermon. And the young priest got up and he looked out over his brothers and he said, men of God, you are very knowledgeable about the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I would imagine you know what I'm about to say. And they all shook their head yes in agreement. And he said, oh good, then I don't need to tell you. And with that he sat down. Well, the abbot was not happy about that. And so the abbot went to him right after, and he said, you're preaching tomorrow, so you might as well get that sermon ready. And then he went to the other brothers, and he said, I don't know that he'll do this, but if he pulls that trick again, I want you all to shake your heads no. And so the chapel time came, and the hymns were sung. It was time for the sermon, and the young priest got up. He's shaking in his boots. And he looked out over the congregation of his brothers, and he said, my, my dear men of God, my brothers, you are wise to the gospel, so you know probably what it is that I'm going to say to you. And this time, everybody in the congregation shook their heads no, and he said, oh my goodness, I'm aghast. Such ignorant men of God, then I have nothing to say to you. And with that, he sat down. Well, the abbot was infurious now, and he said to the young man, you are going to preach in chapel tomorrow. And then he went to the brothers and he said, all right, we're going to fix him on this one. He said, if he pulls that trick again, I want half of you to say yes with your head, shake your head yes. I want half of you to say no, shake your head no. So the day came, they sang their hymns, they said their prayers, and the young priest stood up shaking, and he looked out over the congregation of his spiritual brothers, and he said, oh, great men of God, you are very knowledgeable of the gospel. So I would imagine that you all do know what it is that I'm going to say to you. And half of them shook their head yes, and half of them shook their head no. And the young priest said, oh good, I see that some of you do. Those who know, tell those who don't. And with that he sat down. Those who know, tell those who don't. I think that's exactly what Jesus was saying to his disciples in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, when he said to them, you are going to receive the Spirit, and you are going to be my witnesses, because you know me. And those who know me should go out and tell those who don't know.
I want you to look at that eighth verse in Acts chapter 1. And I want to point out four very simple but very important things that come to us out of that eighth verse in Acts chapter 1. The first thing I want you to know is that Jesus gave to them and to us through them a command. He said to them, you will be my witnesses. And then goes on to spell out where and and all of that. Now, that statement, you will be my witnesses, is not optional. It's not a suggestion that he was making. He wasn't saying to his disciples, "Um, if you would like to, if you think it important enough, uh, if you feel so moved, go and be my witnesses. No, it's issued in the form of a command. It's much like parents, those of you who are parents and those of you who can remember your parents saying this to you, which is all of us, whenever your parents said to you, your room will be cleaned up before dinner, you knew you couldn't vote on that. That was a command that your parents were giving. Or if you got older and you were going to go out with your friends or on a date, Um, and they said to you, you will be home before midnight, you knew that wasn't a debatable issue. It's a command. And so what Jesus is giving to these disciples here, this is post-resurrection, as you know. He's been raised, and he has spent 40 glorious days with his disciples. And what's he doing? He's teaching them about the kingdom of God. And he says to them, In essence, my words now, you go out and expand this kingdom. And you're going to expand this kingdom by being witnesses uh, to wherever you go. And it's a command. Now, the second thing I want you to notice about verse 8 that will be foundational as we proceed this afternoon with our meditation. The second thing I want you to notice is the scope of this command. The scope is this, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So think of concentric circles that gets larger and larger and larger once you throw the stone into the, to the water. That's what we have here. Jesus says, start in Jerusalem. And then move out to Judea and Samaria and then to the uttermost part of the earth. Now, Jerusalem, what would that be for us today? If this passage is meant for us, then how are we to interpret our Jerusalem? And that's simple, and I know you know this, but we need to be reminded that our Jerusalem is Tempe. This is where God has placed us. This is home base for us. These are our neighbors. These are our our friends out there, and they don't know Jesus, many of them. But those of us who know need to get to those who don't and tell them. So Tempe's our Jerusalem. And then if you follow through with this verse 8, we could say that Judea then would be places like Gilbert and Chandler and on through uh, the valley here area, incorporating eventually Uh, greater Phoenix and uh, 
and on and on into the state of Arizona. You mean we have a responsibility for Phoenix and Chandler and Gilbert? Yes, according to this text, we do. And uh, the church does. And we as individual Christians. And then we have responsibility for the state of Arizona. We have responsibility for the nation in which we live. We have responsibility for the world. So please notice the scope. It's a massive assignment. And it's a scary assignment. Because you and I are sitting here small in number and we're saying, really, Bob, get real. You mean to tell me that God expects us to be responsible for places other than our neighborhood right here? And the answer is yes. We start here, though. We start here and then we move outward. And actually, we do that even right now, whether you know it or not. And I know you, you have some understanding of this. By, by our very participation in iHelp, the witness of your love for Jesus and compassion for Jesus goes out wider than even right here in our own neighborhood. And then the people that we support with our mission dollars are out further from us ministering and sharing the good news of Jesus. So yes, we have a responsibility. But we start here in Jerusalem. So the scope it's a huge assignment, isn't it? But here's the third thing I want you to notice, and this often gets overlooked whenever we begin to think about the assignment that Jesus has given to his church to be witnesses, and that is this. There's a promise in verse 8 that you and I must cling to and never overlook. And the promise is this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, do you have that power? Maybe you're sitting there and going, you know, I, I don't think I have that kind of power that we read about in the book of Acts. Well, let me just tell you very honestly. Yes, you do. And let me tell you why and how I can say that with such confidence. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've committed your life to Jesus Christ, you could only do that by the Holy Spirit coming into your heart and into your life. Nobody is a Christian without reception of the Holy Spirit. So you have the Holy Spirit. The very person that Jesus said will bring power for accomplishing what it is that he's asked us to accomplish. So you have the ability... You have the skill. You have the talent. How do I know that? Because it's done through the Holy Spirit. Now, we can learn some things that will be necessary, that we can put to work, that God will use in our reaching out and witnessing. Certainly, that's true. But there is no greater resource that you can have in spreading the good news of God's love than having the Holy Spirit living inside you, releasing his power and grace and strength. So we have a command that takes us to our Jerusalem and then our Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth. And we have this wonderful promise of the Holy Spirit's power. Now here's a fourth and final thing I just want you to notice about this text. And that is the word witness. Witness. 
Let's be clear on what that is. It's a simple word, but I don't want to overlook it. What does it mean to be a witness? Well, in brief and, and very basically speaking, a witness is anyone who has firsthand experience with something. For example, God forbid, but we dismiss worship and we're outside in the grass and we're, we're visiting with one another and all of a sudden we hear a squealing of the tires and we hear the crunching of metal and we, there's an accident out front. Those of us uh, who only heard the squealing of the tires and heard the crunch, we might be able to share that, but that's about all we can share because that's the only thing that we heard. But if someone was out in the parking lot getting ready to get in their car and just happened to be looking out onto the street and they saw that one car went left of center and created the accident, they have firsthand information that when the police comes, they will be able to be valuable in bearing witness to what happened in the accident. So you, you, um, you need to have firsthand evidence of something in order to be considered a witness. Hearsay doesn't work. I think so doesn't work. No, you have to have firsthand experience. And these disciples, and you and me, we have that firsthand experience because Jesus Christ is our Lord and He's our Savior and He's working in our lives and He's transforming us and He's cleansing and sanctifying us as a daily process. We can talk to people about Jesus because we have firsthand experience in knowing Jesus. Well, that's the text. And so let's open that up just a little bit further this afternoon. And I want to point out four other additional truths that, that you, you need to keep in mind as we think about this command that Jesus has given to his church, to you and to me. Here's the first thing I want you to know, and we don't need to spend a lot of time on the first one because I believe you will be able to meet the qualifications found here. But the first thing is that you and I cannot share anything that we have not personally experienced. You cannot share with others what you yourself do not have. That's the first thing I want you to know. Now, that's true with anything that we share with our neighbors and friends and family member. You cannot share a recommendation for a wonderful restaurant that you've never been to. And you cannot share with someone about a great book that they should get and read that you haven't read. On and on it goes. You get it. And so... Many Christians, or at least those people who call themselves Christians, really aren't sharing Jesus and being witnesses to Jesus because it's possible that while they're a name Christian, maybe they themselves have not personally experienced Jesus in their own life. Now, that's possible. I believe you know Jesus. And... And so let's step aside of, of that particular point. 
Um, but keep in mind, we can't share what we have not personally experienced. The second thing I want you to notice is this. Uh, we, we won't share if we don't think it's important enough to be shared. Now, that's something you and I have got to think about. And we need to ask ourselves this question, particularly in the day and age in which we live where there is so much syncretism. Syncretism is when you take a little of this and a little of that and you mesh it together. And uh, the old, uh, I will date myself here, but the old Braille cream commercial when I was a kid, a little dab of this will do you, right? Just a little of this and a little of that. Because we live in such a syncretistic age, it's very important for you and me as Christians to really understand how important it is for people to know about Jesus. And so I just want to ask you some questions, and these are rhetorical questions. I'm not expecting an answer from you out loud, and I don't know why I say that to a Presbyterian church, because I've yet to find Presbyterians who will talk back to the preacher, unless you go to Africa or the West Indies, and I've been there, and you got to be careful what questions you ask, because they answer. But I want you to ask yourself this question. How important is it, do you believe, that people who do not know Jesus come to know him? You just got to start there and ask that question. Uh, Jesus said that people in the world are lost without him. Uh, now, think about that. Have you ever been lost? When I first uh, went, I was a young, young guy, and when I first went to Pennsylvania to serve, where I served for quite a, quite a while, Pennsylvania is madly in love with deer hunting. Okay? And, and if you're not a deer hunter, you're not a man. Got to go deer hunting. Now, fortunately, I grew up in a hunting family. I had never hunted deer before, but I had grown up, so I'd been around guns and, and uh, rifles and things that you would use for sporting events and, and things of that nature. So I wasn't afraid to use a gun, but I'd never been deer hunting. And the men in the church got on my case so badly that I finally had to go deer hunting. And they took me way out up near the border of New York and Pennsylvania in these huge mammoth forests and dropped me off and said, just march that way, and before it gets dark, we'll meet. That was the instructions I got. I was in up to my knees in snow, and I started walking all by myself, and I did what people tell you you do when you get lost. You walk in a circle. And I thought, now how dumb is that? When, when people told me that, you know, when you get lost out in the woods, you'll walk in a circle, and I'm going, that's dumb. It's not going to happen. It does. I walked in a big circle. And I was lost, and I was seriously lost, to the point of it was starting to get dark in the woods, and I couldn't get out, and I didn't know where to go, and I didn't know where my friends were. And unknown to me, they were worried too because they were back at the cabin wondering what happened to me. I didn't appear in the woods where I was supposed to appear at the time when 
they thought I should. And so they were very, very concerned. And it was getting dark. Finally, I listened carefully, and I could hear way off in the distance every once in a while a car, or at least I thought it was. So I began walking toward the sound. And I got down. I could see the road. I stepped over the fence, walked out to where there was a parked car. And there were two hunters just finishing their day. And uh, let me just say it bluntly, drunk as could be. And they said to me, what are you doing? And I said, I'm lost. And they said, do you want us to take you where you need to go? And I knew it was dangerous to get in the car with them, but I wasn't letting them get away from me, if you know what I mean. And so I got in the car, and they did take me, and I got there, okay. And even my hunting friend said to me, you were dumber than a doorknob to getting in the car with those two guys. Did you see how drunk? I was lost. And uh, Jesus says that's what people are without him. They're lost to meaning. They're lost to purpose. They're lost to significance. A lot of things about us. We're lost. And so that's why it's important that you and I be able to tell people about Jesus. It is, it is indeed very, very important. Now, the fact that you know Jesus and they don't does not make you better than them. That's one of the criticisms we Christians get. Oh, so you think you're better than us because you know Jesus. No, no, no. I don't at all. You don't at all. But what I do know is this. I have found something, and I need to correct that and say quite honestly, I have found a somebody who means so much to me that I know he will mean so much to them that I want to share him with them. I've made a discovery that they need to make. It's not that I'm better than them at all. Uh, someone has defined witnessing as one beggar telling another beggar where there's free bread. And that's really what it is. So we won't share if we don't have it, and we won't share if we don't think it's important enough for us to share. Thirdly, we won't share if we don't believe that the people that we're sharing it with need what it is that we're sharing. Um, and I believe you know, and I believe that you believe, not just know, but believe, that people do need to know Jesus. And because they do need to know, they need to have what it is that we have, and that's Jesus. Therefore, we are perfectly willing to go out and to share the good news of Jesus with them. Just think about this. Does it matter that a person comes to know Jesus in their heart and in their life. Well, let me tell you the fourth thing that I wanted to mention to you um, based on this text of uh, Acts 1.8. Um, 
we, we won't share unless we're motivated or compelled to do it. So what motivates us as Christians? What compels us? Why is it that you and I are definitely interested in telling others about Jesus? Why? What motivates you and me to witness to people when we have an opportunity to do it? Well, I'd like to suggest a few things. First of all, and this is found in my text, so I'm making a big circle back to my text. I think the first thing that should motivate us as Christians to go out and tell others about Jesus is that we are under command to do it. And that's really true, folks. If you believe the Scriptures at all, no matter where you turn, whether it's the Gospel of Matthew or here in the book of Acts or in one of the other Gospels, whenever Jesus is talking to his disciples about the mission and the ministry that he is calling them to, it always involves the command to go out and to share the, the good news of the gospel. When he called them, he said it this way, Come follow me, and I will make you to become, what? A fisher of men. And then in the Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples. The emphasis in that passage, the emphasis from the Greek is not go into all the world. So often we think the command is to go there. That's not the command, not in the Greek. The command in go into all the world and preach the gospel or, and make disciples, the command is go and, and here's the command, make disciples. And we make disciples, of course, by witnessing to them about this Jesus that has become so precious and important to us. So we're under command to do it. Secondly, I would say to you that we do it because we're jealous for the honor and the glory of God, of Jesus in particular. Think about all the religions of the world. And if you've ever done any comparative religion studies, I'm sure many of you have in, in college or um, in, in, in your studies. Uh, there's not another religion, not a single one, that talks about the deity entering into the human experience and taking upon themselves the faults, the sins, the errors, and be de being declared guilty on behalf, dying rising again and promising the gift of eternal life. There's not another religion that teaches that. It's only Christianity. There are variations of a theme, but nothing quite as specific as a God who so loves the world that he sent his one and only son to take upon himself your sins and my sins and the sins of the world and pay in full for them so that all one needs to do is to accept the free gift of forgiveness and salvation and gain eternal life. There's not another religion in the world. And we should be jealous to protect the honor and the glory of Jesus by not allowing anyone out there to think that they can get to heaven any other way except through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we go, and we witness, and we tell those who need to know. 
I would say thirdly, we have a moral obligation to do it. That's our motivation. That's our compelling factor, a moral obligation. Pretend you're a medical doctor or a, or a, a scientist, and you're working in the lab tomorrow morning, and you discover through your research that's been going on for some time now, you discover without question a cure for cancer in all forms. You know you have it. There's no debating. You've been close, but now you know. Wouldn't you agree that that scientist has a moral obligation to announce the cure to the world? And not to do so makes that scientist quite a monster, uncaring, unfeeling toward the sufferings of cancer patients. Well, just tip the scale a bit and say, we Christians believe that there is a cure for the worst disease and sickness that has ever impacted the human race because it destroys the soul and human relationships and casts persons into a place where they're separated from God forever and ever. We have a moral obligation to tell the world that there is a remedy and a cure for the sin that has invaded our world and has caused so much hurt and so much pain. The final thing I would say is this. I believe we're compelled and motivated to share Jesus with others because you and I, since we found Jesus, genuinely love and care for people. One of the great marks of being a follower of Jesus is that he puts love in our heart for people. Not just one another as, as Christians. Certainly we do love one another here. We care for one another, and we try to take care of one another to the best of our ability. That's true. But we care about the people who live in those apartments and across the street and around the block. We care about people who are struggling with their marriages and in their relationships and whose lives are falling apart and who are experiencing pain and heartache and suffering. We care and we love and so, therefore, we want to share with them the one who can begin the process. It doesn't happen overnight. You know that because you and I are still people in process. But we need to share with the hurting world that's broken to the core of their being this Jesus who can come into their life and begin to put the pieces back together in a meaningful, purposeful, and significant way. And because we care, and so we share. And so I want to say to you, my dear friends, as my young priest said to his brothers, those of you who know, tell those who don't. Would you pray with me, please? Our Father, we thank you for this evening and for the reminder, I need to be reminded, that wherever I am and the conversations I have, to make sure that when the door is opened, I don't have to kick the door open, but when the door is opened in casual conversation, that I have a spiritual conversation with someone and I point them to the Jesus who has loved me and redeemed me and is at work in my life. Teach all of us, Father, to be sensitive, open, and ready and willing to speak a good word for you. And in that way, be witnesses 
of that which we've experienced personally. Bless the spring. The spring has always been a place that reached out to others. Keep that movement going in our hearts. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.